Welcome everyone to this roundtable discussion uh, we have today. Um, our topic is gas plant frontline fighters. And we have today a great group of community organizers that have been in the trenches fighting El Paso Electric um, in their efforts to pollute and to continue profiting over our health. Um, so we, our group today that we have is, I can go ahead and introduce everyone first. Um, we have the Garcias, uh, Dr. David Garcia and Aira Garcia, who were both leaders and organizers in the campaign against Newman 6. So El Paso Electric's latest gas plant expansion proposal. Um, they, along with the rest of the community, fought really hard. We're going to talk all about that. Um, but they were, they've been longtime organizers with the community as uh, organizers with the Chaparral Parents in Action. And um, they're also leaders with the group that was uh, formed in efforts to fight the gas plant, uh, the Chaparral Community Coalition for Health and Environment. Um, awesome for you to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, we also have Ralph Carrasco, uh, a resident of another uh, gas plant that El Paso Electric runs in Far East, the Montana Vista uh, gas plant. He is a community organizer there. He worked with the group that fought the gas plant uh, a few years back, the Far East El Paso Citizens United group. Representing them was uh, Vero Carvajal, um, she represented the group in, in their legal fights against uh, El Paso Electric. Uh, she's uh, an attorney with the Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. Um, and um, we also have on the line here uh, David Bach, who represented the Chaparral community and uh, is currently also working with the Sierra Club. Um, thank you, David Bach. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Vero. Thank you, Garcias. Um, I will be here wearing two hats as a Sunrise organizer, also as a West Texas field advocate with Earthworks. And we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about these fights and why it matters for everyone in this community. Um, so to go ahead and get started, I'll pass uh, the mic over to Vero uh, to talk about. She has some questions for both of these groups. So, Vera, if you could take it away. Thank you. Um, I want to, first of all, thank um, Ralph and, and thank Montana Vista leaders uh, for being here because um, you're giving us an, an insight into fights that we don't often see. Um, even as lawyers don't really understand what the impact will be until we visit your communities. And because both of your communities are on the outskirts, so many, I think, El Pasoans and even New Mexicans have never driven by, have never thought of the consequence of um, them turning on the light or them plugging something in and the fact that every time we use electricity, we're causing someone something. Um, air pollution, traffic pollution, noise pollution, and and often the threat of more industry coming in. So I really want to thank you because this, I know that it was not an easy fight in either of your cases, um, and that even though you still are going to get you know power plants, you still have power plants in your backyards. 
there was there were some really important concessions made by the company all because of the work that has been done in this community during the last uh, almost 10 years. So thank you for, for that. Um, I want us to first of all talk about your communities. Why have, um, why did you fight so hard? So if you could both um, sets of you take us back to your communities and tell us what it is that that drew you to that um, community and propelled your willingness to take on a giant like El Paso Electric. Should we start off with you? Well, my name is uh, Dr. David Garcia and I was previously and always been a politician. I've been a county commissioner, a board president of the Gaston School District and I've done some other political stuff. Um, we bought a piece of property, 10 acres, and I was very happy when I made that purchase because I know that uh, two of the acres I gave to my eldest, the two acres to my son, and two acres mm -hmm. to my other daughter, and we kept three acres out of the 10. And, you know, I was very happy. I told the missus, hey, we scored on a nice piece of property. You know, it's out, out of the community of Chaparral, and we're close to El Paso. And little did I know, and I, I really, uh, and I don't know how this happened, but somewhere we picked up a, a leaflet and a flyer. a flyer, and I started reading in it, and hmm, earthworks or what was the flyer? Yeah, but it had multiple articles and what research they were doing, and that kind of, I, I, within my heart, it was kind of baffling I said oh wow you know but our house is 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 in direction looking south and when I go through the trash the first thing I look and it's not very far nine tenths of a mile is I think what I figured or they actually said one and a half no? well okay one and a half but you know as as the eye can see it like it's not very far you know at night everything illuminates with the lights and everything. I said, that that's pretty close, you know, but it had never dawned on me at all. And I said, how, how dangerous can this, this be, you know? So the more stuff that I read uh, and I started getting more informed, it, it got intense, you know, and it worried me tremendously because um, right between where my house is at and El Paso Electric is that there's a cattle ranch, Bowen, Bowen Ranch, and it uh, has cattle. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking, well, if it affects humans, it should affect animals, birds, and all the stuff. And I said, well, how harmful can that stuff be? You know, and I would look over there and I wouldn't say anything. I would just see quite like a little puff of white smoke. See, the, the thing is that a lot of people don't realize is that that white smoke is in, invisible to the naked eye and you need special optics to really see what all the carbons that are settling. And it baffled me so much because I said, look, that thing right here, big stacks and the smoke moves down, it has to come down, what goes up comes down. And I said, and those cows eat the shrubs and then right over here we have a uh, the edge of texas restaurant that serves some of those steaks i said what goes from there to here 
to that. And I said, we're eating, we're eating pollutants too. How about our garden? We had a garden. And I had a garden. It, it, that, that soil in Chaparral where we live is just ready to give. You know, I just a short garden and we had big pumpkins, we had zucchini, we had, and then I told my wife, I wonder what we're eating with that zucchini. You know, probably a lot of carbons and stuff. So there's where our journey really started, you know, but in that journey, you know, I was, I was hoping that El Paso, that the El Paso City Council uh, would assist us. And they say, they're, they're pretty smart. I said, politicians are no dummies. You know, the most politicians are attorneys and they're pretty smart, you know, they, they, they'll see through it. But to my amazement, they, they didn't reject Newman Six, and that was a letdown. Uh, representative uh, Madrid, which is our representative, when I told him the story, he told me, oh, he said, but El Paso Electric gives us funds for education. How can we go against them? Mm -hmm. And I had an analogy for him. I said, you know what, it, let me tell you an analogy. It's like somebody hitting you with a two by four across the face and then giving you 10 bucks. I said, that's what they're giving for, to New Mexico for education. It's a drop in a bucket. Representative Joe Pickett, but it's going to be a tough one to stop. Mm -hmm. Why do our politicians, being who they are, and representing the people, already have a preconceived notion that you can stop El Paso Electric and what they're doing? What is it? You know, they represent the people, the people of the state of Texas, the people of the state of New Mexico. And we were very fortunate when I called Mr. Fishman from the Public Regulations Commission from from New Mexico. He's he's a friend and he's an acquaintance. In fact, uh, Ms. Garcia worked for him for, what was the name of the project? Uh, Ready for Kindergarten. Ready for Kindergarten and Mr. Fishman was working with her. So he knew us. And he said, we're in this struggle against El Paso Electric. And, they, and he says, we're going to have a hearing. And that hearing, the, the New Mexico Public Regulations Commission said no to El Paso Electric. And yay! I said, no. Now we're going to be successful. But it is my feeling that the majority of people ignore the facts and they feel helpless. Because when you look at El Paso Electric, you feel what can I do? Mm -hmm. What can I do? You know, and, and, and it, so they just let it go by, you know? So they don't think about it anymore because they say, well, they're just too strong, you know? It's like David and Goliath. And we'll talk about the organizing in, in a bit. So I, I really appreciate you and, and the convictions that you have for your community and the fact that you, you could have left and you haven't left, right? You stayed to fight. So thank you for introducing us to some of the things that you already went through. Now, Ralph, um, you know, I'm an attorney at Legal Aid and a lot of my clients who, I mean, all my clients are, are um, people who are working really hard but still struggling financially. And so often they leave the city to go into the county because they can buy. The, the county is in general more affordable, especially when we talk about the colonias, which are lacking some of, of the basic infrastructure. But my clients have a dream and they have, you know, a lot of hard work. They have family support, like what you did with your family. And, and so um, I want 
uh, I know that that's also part of your family's background and if you could tell us what it is that your parents were hoping for when they they made the move and then also what it is that you as as a young El Pasoan has kept you in Montana Vista and propelled you to fight so hard for your community against the power plant. Yes, uh, thank you Vero for that. Um, well, I moved out there when I was 12 years old. Um, and like you said, um, you, telling somebody that they can own land uh, is, is a big, you know, is a big dream, you know, for people to own their own land. Out there in Montana Vista, you know, you can buy an acre, you could buy five acres. Um, and they would facilitate, you know, um, they would they would give they would sell it to you on, on, on a payment plan, you know, so you don't have to go out there and, and you know, with cash money and then buy uh, acres of land. So a lot of people certainly are, are always looking for these types of opportunities. Um, and then away from the city, uh, you experience me moving. I used to live uh, right in downtown, uh, right in Segundo Barrios, where I moved from to Montana Vista. So it was a big difference for me to go from the city to just out in nature, um, seeing, you know, seeing stars for the first time versus, you know, in the city, you know, you'd see the moon and I think maybe a couple of stars, that's it. But out, out in the county, I mean, gosh, it was it was just a new world, you know, that I was exposed to as a 12 year old. Um, and since then until now, uh, just the beauty of, of, of that, uh, of that nat natural landscape out there um, has certainly, um, now that I'm married and with my family, um, you know, I followed the same steps as my parents. I purchased land out there uh, because I learned to appreciate the beauty of, of that that's out there. Um, now, as, as far as, as when we got exposed to the fight with, with the power plant is similar as in you, you all, you all's case is, you know, we, we had just built our house like maybe a couple weeks before we found out. We had just built our house. I called, you know, the contractor that lived out in that area to ask him a general question about the house. And that's when he told me about the power plant. At that point, I had no idea. I did not see a flyer. I did not see anything. Um, I was never given information by the power plant. I was never um, generally, you know, I didn't, we didn't have meetings by them where they told us their plans. Um, it was just a resident that found out, that told another resident, that told another resident that then told me, you know? Um, so at that point, I started digging and, 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 and asking questions and trying to find out what that means um and and so that's what what kind of got me introduced to that is what does that mean i mean is that a good thing is that a bad thing at that point i didn't even know if is it, if it's good or bad and and that's how you know i think back then and and, and that's a sad concept to say you know is it a good thing to have a power plant in, in your backyard sometimes people think it is they think it's you know something nice it's something that looks pretty and it's something that's like wow we have a power plant in our house it's it lights up and it looks so so futuristic you know and sometimes people think it's a good thing but it's just that naive that you know we're naive because we don't fully understand what that represents right. um yeah on the outside they might make it look nice and pretty for you but but what it exposes uh and, and what you don't see is what i started to find out those features of it and that is what really you know got me more involved in doing more research and making more calls and you know and and just doing my homework uh, as a resident uh, at that point not as a you know just a pure 100 percent resident that was within that radius of the plant um so yes to answer your question Vero, uh the natural landscape that we have out there was certainly under threat because of that and that's how i saw it 
we just built our house my family you know my daughter she's just you know a toddler at that point um and and i was thinking of all these um concerns of, of health and safety and what does that mean to us and as i read more and more and got more exposed to that i started seeing the dark side of all of that so that yes um so i i think maybe david and i can take a couple of minutes to just talk about the process and um and how hard it is to find attorneys and then i'll ask you both how you found us um david would you like me to go first or would you like to go first uh you can go first and then i'll chime in yeah. awesome okay thank you um so we so um whenever el paso electric wants to create a new power plant or it wants to um, add to an existing power plant um, for instance here in Chaparral they were adding on to an existing power plant in Montanavisa was a brand new facility they have to go through different commissions um, depending on the location and so when we were fighting Montanavista, we were fighting strictly in Texas we we're fighting before the Texas Commission for Environmental Quality and then the Utility Commission the Public Utility Commission and, and then also there's greenhouse gases, so then the EPA steps in once the state approves the state permits. And um, the notices are, are really not designed for public participation. Um, you know, they'll put up a, a sign on the fencing that gives you the legal description, um, and they issue notices if you've signed up for emails, for instance, or letters and the state senator gets a notice and that's it. They don't have to knock on doors or notify people. Um, and the deadlines are very short. So once we got involved and we went through the process, we were fighting what we call a scheduling order, which is from the time that you file the, the um, contested case hearing to the um, actual hearing in six months, which is very hard for any lawsuit, but especially when you're dealing with experts, where you're dealing with data, you're dealing with gathering all sorts of information. And let me tell you that almost none of it deals with the community impact very very little um is given you know in terms of opportunities to talk about the impact to the community's economy the community's health the community's um you know peaceful and quiet enjoyment of their properties and um, we made arguments of environmental justice which is a mandate from the you know executive order dating back to the clinton years um and there is still nothing that that didn't really stop anything um so that's that's sort of the technical um, process, and I don't know if David, if you want to chime in on some of the obstacles that you all faced or the route that you took. Sure. Um, so one thing I'll say is that um, the environment that we found ourselves in was really much more favorable than than the Montana Vista community did. Uh, you know, I remember back in 2013, I was in law school taking environmental law classes and really at the time a lot of the big environmental groups were saying you know natural gas is part of the solution like it'll help us move away from coal that was still the mindset um you all didn't have the energy transition act in mexico which we were able to utilize uh which says that um, all electricity in, in purchase for new mexico has to be um uh, from a non-emitting source by uh 2045 and so that actually helped, uh, you know, Dara Club and some other groups were able to ensure that El Paso Electric cannot charge New Mexico ratepayers for Newman 6 because it's not going to be um, 
it, it, it's it's not going to fit into that that plan. Um, which that 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 statute was was not available. It was passed in 2019, so it wasn't wasn't around then. We also have this ozo designation that we uh, we fought for. Milias Unidas de Chamisal uh, and Sierra Club and, and the city of Summit Park fought that case. And we, ha we haven't gotten our final designation yet, but the fact that EPA is moving quickly to redo that gave us, again, more leverage than uh, you guys had back in 2013. So, you know, I think that that is. I completely agree with what Bureau said uh, that uh, the, the the system is not set up for um, it's you know it's set up to, to, to kind of be a streamlined process where they can get these facilities up and running. Um, and TCQ is certainly doesn't you know uh, doesn't really have a habit of, of taking the environmental impacts uh, in, in, into mind. So it's really an uphill battle, but. We are making changes little by little, whether it's at the state level, passing the Energy Transition Act in New Mexico, uh, whether it's through litigation like the Ozone designation litigation, whether it's through national policies that are making it harder and harder and giving us more hooks so that hopefully the next time this comes around, whether it's a power plant or some other big source of pollution uh, in El Paso, for southern New Mexico, we will have more hooks, and we'll we'll be able to, you know, get a little further, um, and and block it. So I think you know I think that's exactly right. I mean the process is not it's not easy. You have but but we're increasingly um, we're increasingly having some additional tools to block it that didn't exist in the past, and that's that's through tireless advocacy at every level of government. So um, you know you have to have a strategy that looks at you know, at the city, it looks at the counties, it looks at the, the states uh, and, and the federal level. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, it's 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 not easy, but you 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 have to look for every hook that you can find, and 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 you know, having having the coalition of, of people that live right by the plant to have your voices, you know, as part of the fight is so important because uh, in terms of getting immediate to pay attention um that's huge and actually that's one thing i'll say about our fight that was helpful is that um we were able to get miguel was able to get work with david and ida to get the um uh a story about the the power plant in the new mexico political reporter and then our our u.s senator from new mexico one of them uh senator heinrich um saw that article and then he sent a letter to epa that was helpful uh, and uh, for us as well. And, and Vera, I know you also had some uh, some help, you know, from the media, which is really important, um, you know, as well. So um, you have to fight on every every level, all 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 levels of the government, and also in the court of public opinion. Absolutely, thank you. That's. Um... That's a really great segue to talk about organizing, and there's so much to talk about, I think, just when we try to break up the, the organizing part. And so I'll, I'll do my best if I forget anything, let me know. Um, I want to start with you, Ralph, to talk about um, once you found out, how did you start organizing people? And to remind everyone here, especially people who are young, that this was in 2012, 2013, that we fought? Yes, yeah, 2012 was when the, we started. When we started in December. the winter, right, yes. December? Um, 
And, and so this was really before Twitter, Instagram, Facebook were really tools of organizing. Um, so can you tell us some of the things <laughs> that you did that are still, I believe, an amazing way to continue to organize people who you can't reach through those methods because a lot of our community isn't really reachable um, through social media. Yes, yes. Uh, wow. So I guess that makes me feel a little old, right, to say that <laughs> back in my day, right, Twitter, Twitter was in, in existence. But but no, yes. I mean, when I found out, um, you know, it was through a phone call, right? Um, and from that point on, uh, it was um, uh, maybe a couple more residents just constantly communicating between ourselves. What they found out, what I found out, uh, what they think and what I think. So there was a lot of internal knowledge sharing as far as what we were digging up on our own work. And from that point on, uh, we knew that the power plant was already in, 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 in the plans to you know get constructed. So we knew that there was a timeline ahead of us that we needed to tackle, that we couldn't just sit idly by. So apart from doing our research, um, knowledge sharing with each other, from a, not from an expert point of view, just from a resident, um, that is digging up information and at that point a lot of questions were coming to us um, So from that point on we knew that the best the first thing to do was was to start organizing uh, meetings within the community we started uh, just putting up Two-by-fours uh, with uh, plywood two-by-fours and plywood and putting them in the corner of every kind of main intersection where we lived <laughs> so we would put them at stop signs and and main intersections where we knew a lot of people passed by uh, and we would just announce our meetings and we would say uh you know power plant coming to our backyard you know just real graphic that was real information that they needed to hear um so we that's how we started announcing and also just going door to door, knocking on doors and passing out flyers, speaking to the people, letting them know what, what, await, what awaited us. Um, and we wanted them to know. Uh, at that point, we weren't really like uh, out to convince anybody of, of how, how bad or how good it is because we ourselves were still finding out. But we just wanted them to know that their involvement was crucial because just like we, we were finding out, they need to find out for themselves too. Um, so, so yeah, it was a lot of uh, flyers knocking on doors, uh, two by fours with plywood on busy, you know, busy intersections, uh, uh, and advertising our meetings. Uh, we were able to actually use um, the uh, the fire station out on Montana. We were able to use that location uh, for our meetings. We were also to, we were also able to successfully do a, a meeting in the in the middle school out there. East Montana Middle School, which which we were able to do it in the gym, and the gym got packed. You know, be, you know, people. A lot of people were there, um, and that's what really got us, uh, gave us a, a hope to say, wow, like people are actually interested in these things just as much as we are. Um, so at that point, um, you know, locations were important as far as where we were having the the meetings. Location was crucial. Um, just word of mouth. Um, and, and, and yes, that was it. I mean, no Twitter, no Facebook for sure, but, but just a lot, of, uh, a lot of just boots on the ground was what it came down to. So. How did you, um, and I'll ask the same questions of, of y'all, how did you um, get the attention of politicians and what politicians were you trying to convince to be a part of this? 
Yes, so as we started reaching out to the, to the residents, as we started finding out information, we started reaching out to our representatives as well, uh, trying to get their uh, support. Um, and at that point, I mean, it was hard to get support from our politicians at that point because where I lived, my community out there, uh, we were called or we were considered a donut hole community. And that what that means is that, you know, there's there's growth around us, but not <laughs> where we live. That's why we were kind of sunken, you know, within the minds of these of our politicians at that point. Uh, I, I actually called off several offices and they would send me to the other office. And then this office would send me to the other <laughs> office until I finally said, well, like, who represents our community? I was finally able to pinpoint the right, you know, commissioner at that point. And then at that point, it just started as far as attending their weekly uh, commissioner court meetings, uh, attending the weekly uh, meetings even within the city, um, attending their meetings, uh, signing up for, for uh, public, public discussion, um, sending them emails, calling their offices, telling them uh, what is happening to our community and why it's important for them to, to, to represent us uh, of why they were voted in, in the first place to represent the people and, 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 and we're letting them know our concerns, you know? Um, so, so, so yes, uh, calling the politicians, attending their meetings, um, you know, going to, going directly to their offices, giving them the information we were, we were finding out, handing that information to them. Um, and just like you, Mr. Garcia mentioned that, you know, they know, they, they know El Paso Electric. El Paso Electric is obviously a monopoly in El Paso. So every politician knows them. But what they know is, is, is more of the, the, the good side and, and the, the benefits of, of partnering <laughs> with, with, power, with El Paso Electric, exactly. Um, but they didn't know what we were finding out, which is, which is all of their violations and, and all of these hazards to, you know, to, to, to the pollutants that, that, that we were going to be exposed to. Um, so to answer your question, Vero, yeah, it was a lot of uh, just attending their public meetings. Uh, a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls to directly to their offices. And how did you bring the politicians to Montana Vista? Uh, we would invite them uh, along with what really helped us, I believe, was the media. Uh, we were emailing the media left and right, all of them, <laughs> sending them all of the information and telling them what's happening and what's going to happen. So a lot of the media were coming out to our meetings. And because of that, that's we, we use that platform to say, where are our politicians? Where, why aren't they here? Why aren't they listening to us? You know, so that really put pressure on them to say, hey, you know, it's we got to go, you know, because, you know, obviously we're getting all this bad press, you know. So I mean, maybe that's why they went or maybe they went out of the sincerity of their heart. I, I don't know. But but uh, the media really helped us. Um, and once they started arriving to our meetings, hearing what we were saying, uh, and then at that point, we, we were able to secure a bus, uh, like a, it's like a, like a charter bus uh, from, a, from a church, actually, from a church out there. So we secured this bus, and then after our, this big meeting we had, we invited uh, the, the politicians, and, and we invited the media, and we took them for a tour, just right, right where everything was in the thick of it all. Uh, we showed them our community, the good things, the bad things. Uh, we showed them where the power plant's gonna be, uh, and we showed them the closeness, and, and we showed them just the raw images of how we live, where we live, and, and what, what awaited us. 
So yes, uh, the media really helped us. Um, and once they got to our meetings, we made sure they experienced it firsthand by us giving them personal tours of the area. Yep. Yes. Um, and I'll interject a little bit. There was a, a reporter, um, Julian Aguilar, who I went to elementary and middle school with, who at the time was working for the Texas Tribune. And he, because of all of the local media, he picked up the story. And his story um, was had really great photographs, had really great interviews, was picked up by the New York Times. And at that point, I think we had already fought the contested case hearing at the state and had lost, but we were fighting the greenhouse permit at the EPA. And that's when the tide, I think, really shifted because one, they thought, okay, they're not gonna go away. This community is getting louder and louder. Um, the commissioners at that point had started coming to fight other things along with yes. you. And, and then we get this story, you know, nationally, and their stakeholders were going to see that story. So I think that really helped. And, and yes. you know, Julian's from El Paso. I think that when, you know, if, if people are thinking, how do I get involved? There's so many careers that I think tap, that we've talked about that could really tap into um, helping the cause. Um, so there's, you know, you don't have to go to law school. I, I hope that you do. <laughs> but if that's not the route that you want to take, there are so many other ways that you can help the cause through your careers. So now I'm going to ask um, Dr. Garcia and Ms. Garcia the, the same kind of questions. I know your journey is different. I think you have your own mic. Um, your journey is a little bit different, but probably also similar. Um, tell us about your organizing. Well, we started, um, actually, we had a, a Zoom meeting, and, you know, I guess, you know, we were kind of fighting more than one thing because of the pandemic. It was very unfortunate because right. the pandemic was going on. So we did organize a Zoom meeting and invited, we invited a lot of people, but not as many as we had hoped would attend. But I think that Zoom meeting got it off the ground because it, it um, you know, with Miguel's help, we were able to put out a lot of the facts and talk about, uh, you know, the harm that that plant was doing. And then uh, we decided to go ahead and do a, a meeting at our house. And uh, we, we started- Several meetings. Several meetings, yeah. <laughs> but the first one we had, um, we did do a lot of calling mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, again, and some people, of course, you know, were not very confident because of the pandemic, but we did get a good group uh, to attend, mm -hmm. and that really helped. And that's when we decided to form our group, uh, the Chappell Community uh, for Coalition for Health and Environment, because we wanted to kind of show that the community was together and that we did want to fight for our health and environment. And, and when we came up with a name, we felt that that was really a good name because it kind of touched on um, everything we wanted. Mm -hmm. So we um, basically, um, we did uh, have more than one meeting, like we said, at our house, and then we had one at our church. But Chaparral, you know, is very spread out. And uh, we did have a little bit of a hard time getting the word out. Uh, mm -hmm. We did do a lot of talking to people and uh, even though, like, you know, we have social media and all that, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, it's really uh, amazing how many people are not into that yet. You know, some of them, well, Chaparral too is, is limited with our resources because we, we're not, like I was saying before, we're, we're not incorporated. We're, mm -hmm. we're still, uh, uh, we belong to the Doniana County mm -hmm. and uh, we're, we're part of Doniana. So uh, we're still kind of like, uh, you know, on the outskirts, and we don't get a lot of the services and benefits from 
that we, we really deserve. So don't need hope. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. No, no, I, what encouraged me was we had a lot of organizational support and I'm still very appreciative to this day for Sunrise El Paso, the Sierra Club, mm-hmm. especially Earthworks and that man sitting right there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in discussing it with them. We had several phone calls. We had a uh, communication line and I said, we're not alone <laughs> in this, are we? <laughs> Right. Yeah, so I think, you know, just, just bringing, you, bringing together yes. the community <laughs> and, and, uh, and the people and just getting the information out there, you know, right. because I think so many of the people were just so used to seeing the plant there and they really mm-hmm. didn't think about it. You know, mm-hmm. They knew it had been there forever and didn't realize that it was doing as much harm as it was. So um, that was the other thing. We even felt better when we heard that we were going to have hired uh, attorneys to help us. Yeah, because we were kind of <laughs> said, oh, Do we have to pay for that? <laughs> yeah. We were freaked out. And yeah. I said, no. Uh, when Sarah, we discussed uh, it, you know, that, that they were going to be financed. And uh, we were really happy. Yeah, we were ready to really jump in. Because, you know, we kept thinking, you know, it, we know it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, you know, attorneys are expensive. And we thought, you know, this is going to be tough, a tough yeah. fight. But we really felt strongly and passionate about it because not only because we live so close, but we knew it was affecting so many people in our community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll and I'll add to that that the the Chaparral frontline community was the most important part of this very complex campaign against Newman Six, right? And mm-hmm. and I imagine similar things in the Montana Vista fight, right? Uh, yourselves, the sisters, uh, uh, Dr. Lara, who's a community physician, I would talk about the, the health impacts of how she was seeing in her clinic in an increased amount of people with respiratory problems, right? Um, your neighbors, right? That was the core of what the campaign was. So while you all were getting the community organized, forming, in, uh, informing each other. Uh, Sunrise, uh, us on this side, we have a tech team, uh, everyone on the live stream. Sunrise was, was pressuring El Paso Electric directly on the streets, in, in downtown, in front of the municipal government. Uh, we were calling all of our uh, city representatives to have another battlefront, right? Because one of the things we can discuss is how much power El Paso Electric has over our government mm-hmm. and not the other way around, right? Mm-hmm. So we had many different fronts, right? But the core of it needed to be uh, the frontline community informed, organized, and angry, right? Mm-hmm. So um, from there, we are able to get, you know, uh, legal support. We were able to get um, the attention of, of, of El Paso Electric yes. to get to the negotiating table. And that's, I'm not sure when we can talk about this, but we can talk about the actual contested case hearing uh, for our listeners. So we can talk about what that means and how difficult it was for us to get there. Uh, so, um, in essence, we can talk about it now. Yeah. yeah. The, Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Vedo or David, but it's it's basically like a trial within the community. Um, gives their piece, the corporation gives their piece, and then the state agency, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, 
kind of is the arbiter, right? They listen and they make a decision. Uh, is that more or less a fair description? Um, yes. yes. So, so one of the, we tried through a city. The city absolutely failed us. The, our municipal elected officials did not were not brave enough to confront El Paso Electric. So we went through that route of the state, and it was. It was just so difficult. It was an epic effort just to get to the trial, just to get to the situation where we give our peace to right. to the to the government. And one of one of the stories uh, is because it was COVID times. Uh, what we would do is uh, we would get. So we had uh, our attorneys were David David Bach, uh, but also Josh Smith from the Sierra Club and. Uh, Colin Cox from the Environmental Integrity Project and um, the strategy was to get as many uh, directly affected residents to apply right to go to the hearing and make their case um, so one of the things we had to do was uh, myself and a lot of other Sunrise organizers would uh, translate on live on the phone so we would call the the resident we would patch in the attorneys uh, thankfully, David Bach could speak Spanish, but uh, Josh and Colin couldn't, could not. So we would like translate live. You know, it was one of the right. one of those things where like we were dealing with the the you know the makeup of of this community, which is majority Spanish speaking, mm -hmm. um, uh, mixed immigrant status. So we had to adjust, but we we got in. That was the the. One of the, the main <laughs> victories is that we got our foot in the door and we actually, um, you know, got into the contested case hearing. And that can be one of the things we discuss is the amount of advantage that the opponent has. Mm -hmm. We had to, like, if, if you go to the Garcia's backyard, you can see the plant in your face right, right there. It's, it's just right there in your face. But we had to prove to the government that it was close enough to where uh, you're we're affected, affected okay. right? Mm -hmm. And so the TCQ has this rule of thumb where um, if you are outside of a one-mile radius of the plant, plant mm -hmm. then you're not considered directly affected. That is an extreme form of violence because... Pollution does not evaporate after a mile. <laughs> it goes way past 20 miles, mm -hmm. but they're going, they're using this rule that's not based on science, right. not based on any sort of study, just to exclude community. So, um, yeah, I was amazed when the, att <laughs> the attorneys and we were on Zoom or what is yeah, it? Yeah, what we're doing. And today. they were measuring uh, on Google Earth from my house to the plant, and then Dr. Lara was maybe two miles or three miles away. And then they were giving her a hard time about about going up Stan Roberts, which yeah. is next yeah. uh, in the road Passage right in right front. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, and it was my neighbor and I uh, that we were called to be witnesses. And boy, it was tough, you know, because uh, we felt like- Get nervous, scared. We were nervous and, and that the, the attorney from El Paso Electric was pretty tough. You yeah. <laughs> Very extremely aggressive, mm -hmm. very aggressive, <laughs> very, very aggressive, rude, mm -hmm. rude. Um, we would say, here it is, 
1.5 miles away distance and you'd say no 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 it's 1.7 yeah. Therefore, you should not. You don't have a right to yeah. to discuss. To even argue the point, you know, and up. it was just nerve wracking, and um, and you know, and so you know, being that my neighbor and I were both witnesses because we were the closest, you know, we were, I guess, really put on the spot, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. you and you did it well. You won. <laughs> yes. Uh, just to kind of touch on what she said, I think it's crucial. I mean, uh, uh, obviously, the the, the frontline communities. Um, kind of set the foundation, but apart from that, I mean, once once legal counsel and all these resources and all these exposure um, and legal guidance at that point is is just I mean it's monumental because like just like you mentioned, I mean you'll you'll stand in a courtroom where a hundred percent of it is 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 driven by law. We don't I mean, yeah. you know what I mean we don't know we just know that it's harmful and it's not right <laughs> you know, right. but we don't we don't we don't know the laws we we don't know. Um, uh, you know the the, the 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 regulations. You know, we're we're barely studying it on our own. You know, yes. but let alone argue it. You know, so so I think you know crucial is is certainly the legal help that we get, um, and and certainly the resources one is able to generate to even begin to cover all of that is, is thanks to the help to all the activism, the organizations, you know, people that that get informed and and, and assist communities so that's that's super you know that's super positive when, when if you can help a uh, community out monetarily i mean it's it, it's it's certainly not money wasted because it's it's people that are that do not have those resources right. that and we need that expertise that we lack yes. uh, so obviously the legal help is was crucial uh, and monumental to to get our fight going and and and, and active at that point so um, and I'll, I'll just touch briefly on, on that. I think I'm, I'm very lucky that um, TRLA has always supported environmental justice cases and, um, and that the Sierra Club and many other national nonprofits have kind of gotten, gotten you know, up to speed on, on fighting these fights as well because they're very expensive. Like, yes, you know, we get funded by the federal government, so no one had to pay my, my fees. But we had to still hire a private attorney to help us, and we had to hire experts. So once you get to the hearing, it's a battle of the experts, right? Um, often, they're, we, I mean, we have to submit their testimony in writing beforehand, and then they appear if they're called to do that, and it's very expensive. They, they don't do things for free. And I think what, what really shocked me was that I, had, I was back in El Paso in 2005 when we fought a circle. And at that point, everyone was against ASARCO, right? All the politicians finally said, okay, we don't want the copper smelter here anymore. It's not part of our economic plan. And so the city hired um, an attorney who had always worked for industry, and he was very expensive. But the city of El Paso hired um, because, you know, their attorneys couldn't handle it, like they can't handle a lot of things. But they farmed it out, spent the money, invested. And so when Montana Vista happened, we're like, oh, we're outside of the city limits, so there's, you know, we can't ask the city to help us, but the county can. And the county said no. The county said we're not going to get involved, even though they had the authority to do it. And so I think that it's really important to, um, you know, go to your representatives, whether city council or the county commission, and push them to also be part of the legal fight because they can offset the cost and bring their own pressure points. They have standing automatically. For the community up north from you, Haciendas del Norte, you know, it's a one mile standing rule. And so it was like, they, they were very supportive, but they could not give the testimony. They could not put on that kind of pressure. And so um, it's really important, I think, that we bring in 
other sources of support from people that we pay to represent us in, in other ways. Um, I don't know if David wants to add anything to to that. Yeah, I wanted to just throw add a couple observations. One is that this one mile radius rule um, was shocking to me because uh, it's not as I don't I'm not aware of any other state or certainly the federal government does not apply that type of rule um, to bring a suit in federal court. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, certainly not necessary that you show you're within one mile of a plant uh, because it's not there's there's no scientific basis for that, especially for uh, pollutants like ozone, which are mixed throughout the region. So um, I think, you know, I, I think this kind of also goes to the resources thing, right? That uh, it's amazing that we were able to put together a community coalition and fight these projects in these cases uh, and get some concessions. But it's not a sustainable way to make change. Um, you know, it's a, what really makes change is when you can have policies that say, you, you know, that, that, that change the playing field, right? Right now the playing field is, is so stacked in favor of development uh, that, you know, it's incredibly hard even with a really good, great team uh, to, to get any leverage at all. Uh, but, you know, what, what we really need to think about too is how do we expand the fight to, um, you know, so we're not fighting on a plant by plant basis on a project by project basis, but we're thinking, you know, how do we change the, 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 the landscape like in New Mexico with this Energy Transition Act and uh, which was a great start and be great to amend it so that it, it forces that transition to go even more quickly because, uh, you know, we do have some small leverage when it comes to new plants, but we have almost no leverage when it comes to things, existing plants. And, and those are oftentimes the, you know, even worse. Um, you know, we may have a little bit of leverage with this ozone designation fight, but that's going to take a really long time and it's not going to be very satisfactory. So it's, it's really important, I think, to, um, to transition and to build, to, to draw upon the energy of these fights to say, okay, how do we, how do we get some broader change that's going to make it not necessary to do this in the future that, that, that it's, you know, because I think, you know, Hero is exactly right. The amount of resources that it goes that go into fighting uh, this type of thing is is enormous, and it's you know you have to get a, scientific experts to get up there and testify. Things that you know should be common sense, uh, you have to prove, and and the attorneys are expensive, and et cetera. And and we all you know we have even even when you don't have um, even when you have someone like Euro who who has this funded uh, through you know external sources. I mean, there's also just time constraints. I mean, we have, um, you know, AR club and, and all the, all the work that we're doing, you know, we, we can't fight every, um, every oil well, every gas processing plant, every, every compressor station, uh, you know, it's, it's just not a sustainable strategy. There's so much happening, um, that, you know, you, you really do have to take our battles. And so, you know, I, I think that's really important is to, to realize that, that um, 
these fights are, are, are critically important for our communities and we have to fight them. But we also have to realize that when the fight is over, the dust clears, we got to think about, okay, now what's our next step to make sure that we don't have to be on our, on the defense again, but we're trying to push back on a, you know, on a, on a playing field that's rigged. How do we get to a point where we're setting the terms and we're saying, you know what, all, you know, we need to be getting to, to solar and, and, and renewables and we need to be, you know, just have a place where you can't do that anymore. You, it's not acceptable. There's no way you can even start a project. And that's, that's so, so it, it's, a, it's, it's important to think about the broader context and changing that is really the way that we win. Uh, even as we make great, great strides in these, these battles. And I mean, one of the things I think we're really excited about from our human six battle is we did force El Paso Electric to agree to a moratorium on any new uh, fossil fuel development for four years. Um, there's, it's not perfect, and it's, you know, uh, <coughs> you know, it, it doesn't mean that we won't necessarily have to fight another fight again soon. But, um, you know, we there is a little bit, and Miguel and I talked about this. There's a little bit of, of a of a whack-a-mole strategy going on where, you know, you all could, with Montana Vista, you you secured a prohibition on expanding that plant. Now we have a prohibition on expanding the Newman plant, so we are we are changing the the environment for El Paso Electric, um, making it harder and harder for them to build new plants. But we really have to look at those systemic changes, and that's that's hard. And that's you know, um, but you know, I think it's important to brainstorm about. Dave, I I think uh, one of our next tips initiative should be to be able to challenge that one mile radius what scientific information do they have that they establish those bases of saying well you're if you're within that mile you're affected if you're outside that one mile you're you're not and i think one of the things we need to challenge is that that belief or what gives them status to establish that one mile radius it's only common sense to tell you that when the wind blows, mm -hmm. that pollutants are going to drift 20, 30 miles. And I wonder if there's some kind of sensors that could, could uh, so that we can challenge it for next time. Mm -hmm. um, can, I think, can I add yes. something really oh, quick to that? Sorry. I mean, apart from, apart from trying, trying to argue the, the, the foundation to that one mile radius, there should also be another argument that does not allow two polluters in the same property yeah where I live, before they built the property, they had tanks out there. Well, they're still there. There's, they're large, massive tanks that hold fuel products. Um, so there's all these other pollutants that are there within these tanks. Uh, what happens is large, um, you know, large uh, trailers go and they fill up all throughout all the day, fill up their, 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 their pumper trucks, you know, and, and, and that's it, activity with fuel. Um, and so in that same property, uh, they sold land <laughs> to El Paso Electric to, to build a, 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 a gas-powered uh, uh, power plant, you know, that, that ignites, <laughs> ignites, right? And so, so, like, we're talking about common sense, and we're like, okay, so you're going to build, a, you know, a, a plant that fires, you know, fires up. Uh, every so often next to these massive tanks that hold diesel products that are 100% flammable 
exactly they're flammable i mean there's nothing about them that is not flammable so i mean apart from the mile radius they should you know there should be something else that does not allow more than one pollutant even within that one mile radius like how do they allow that if they do then duplicate the radius then you know add their radius and add their radius and add their radius and make it six mile radius you know don't use just one ma ra mile, one mile radius for two polluters you know um, so there's just so many things that need to be fixed then that's i just wanted to bring that up so mm -hmm. absolutely thank you thank you for that that's um, a really good point and i would just i just had one one quick thought which is that one another that's another way the deck is stacked is that in, in these hearings you're not allowed to talk about the cumulative impact for the community spacing you only have, you only get to talk about that one plant you don't get to say well you have five other units that are also adding all this pollution right and um so you know it's unfortunate we don't have the, you know for the most part we don't have very well developed tools to say well right. you know let's look at all the pollutants that are all the issues that are, are facing this, this community not just you know your one little and so i think you know that's a really good point have these cumulative impacts yes. that need to be considered yes and and to add to that because there's so many issues with our with our rules but they only look at air pollution from that perm, uh, that applicant right for the permit they're not looking at the impact on your water or your soil right. um, much less the cumulative right. impact from other things happening in your community and so it's really as if you know this is not, the rules are not designed with human bodies in mind they're not and so your body is taking all of that in you know your child's body is taking all of that in and doesn't care whether that person has a permit is violating or not because there's so many other activities happening and they don't consider also the amount of traffic that's coming in now right. traffic that is mostly commercial mostly diesel powered that is bringing in pollution etc so it's just um it's just a, a mess and so i don't want to get away from before we, we sign off, um, celebrating the things that you were able to accomplish in each of your settlements because we know that the everything was stacked against you. Um, and so I want to start with, with um, Montana Vista. I don't know if you want me to go through the terms or if you want to go through them. Uh, you can Probably. go through them and uh, I can. The brief. Yeah. 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 And then because I want to ask you about something um, right after. So um, we had, you know, we are, our settlement is confidential um, and there are things that we can't really talk about, but the, the statement that we agreed to um, allows us to talk about the community advisory panel. So it was a community group that was basically created with El Paso Electric that would help the community stay engaged, especially because they were very concerned about safety issues. And so getting alerts, getting notices that something was happening was, was really important. Um, there was also some money that was given to deal with some of those projects that were gonna be um, implemented. And um, we had energy efficiency improvements. We wanted the people of Montana Vista to not have to purchase as much electricity. So there were funds given to fund people having some of, of that improvement made on their homes. Um, people were really concerned about their dark skies. Like Ralph talked about the stars and how beautiful it is out there. And so um, they had to um, buy and, and design um, electricity for the um, power plant that was not going to pollute the air, or excuse me, pollute the skies. Um, and I think the most important one um, for us was the fact that they agreed, as David was saying, to not expand upon this power plant. 
we know that environmental injustice follows the path of least resistance. And so just like they had the fuel tank, fuel storage tank facility, here came El Paso Electric, and we knew that there's so much vast land, they're going to keep growing. And because this is not in, you know, rich people's backyards, um, they're not going to really be pushed to do things differently. And so they're out of sight, out of mind for a lot of us. And that's why they benefit one after the other to to create these really industrial um, pathways. And um, and then if they want to expand, it can only be solar energy. We also made sure that our agreement was enforceable by future residents. So we had a long list of people that could enforce it and their family members or their, the buyers of their properties could enforce it because we know that time goes by very fast and we wanted the settlement to outlive all of us. Um, and so we were really proud of that. And then Fort Bliss made an announcement. So I wanted to ask you, Rob, to talk to us about the the issue with Fort Bliss. Uh, so while we were uh, taking on the opposition effort with um, the, the Montana Power Station, um, we found out about uh, Fort Bliss wanting to build a like a geothermal type plant right also in our backyard, actually right behind the power plant actually um, in the Fort Bliss side. But what, what, what this facility was, was a um, they were going to incinerate trash and and um, generate electricity, which is which is a very good thing. I mean, you know, waste obviously, you know, biodegradable things. You know, obviously, you know, burying them in the ground versus dis disintegrating them is obviously a good thing. But uh, again, the location of this incinerator was going to be in our backyard, and it wasn't even going to be our trash. It was going to be Fort Bliss's trash. <laughs> and as we all know, Fort Bliss, you know, is one of the biggest bases in, in, in the U.S., right? They have the biggest bases, so their trash wasn't going to be a little bit. <laughs> so this incinerator, obviously, was another uh, thing that was presented to us. Um, and, uh, you know, we weren't even, like, we were already involved heavily with the Montana Power Station that at first when I read the email, I didn't, I thought it was a joke, like a cruel joke, right? Like, yeah, you're gonna build this too. Like, so at first I kind of shook it off, um, but it was actually somebody from within Fort Bliss that sent me that email. Um, and when, you know, once I followed up, you know, forwarded it that to, you know, v Veronica, our lawyer, our legal counsel at that at that moment. And, and it we, you know, we started digging more and looking more into it. And yes, it was a reality that, that those were their plans. So Fort Bliss had that in mind. Um, so now by that time, by that point, we already had support um, from from uh, a lot of our local po politicians. And so at that point, they, you know, uh, took took that fight themselves, uh, helped us, supported our community because they were seeing what we were going through. Um, and so they would meet with, with Fort Bliss, which is at that point already a, a federal branch. I mean, you know you know let alone going uphill with the city how about going against the federal government right so at that point you know our local government really stepped in and, and helped our community but yes we were we fought for bliss and, and, and um, with the help of our local leaders um, which was crucial uh, to them alerting them of, of just that injustice you know um, and, and so yeah it was it was a, an incinerator that was meant to 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 burn trash to create electricity which is obviously a good thing but again, I wanted to ask yes, you the term geothermal. Thermal means heat generated by heat, but geo really is going the into the dirt, to into the earth, 
and that's geothermal. Yes. An incinerator has nothing to do with geothermal. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yes, the ge they did have a geothermal plant, and I think that one was going to be more towards closer to Alamogordo. Mm -hmm. So they had this. It was a net zero project yes. that they had, and it consisted, it consisted of several projects. Geothermal was one of them. The incinerator was another one. Uh, but the geothermal one, thank you for correcting me, was one, I think it was being planned more closer towards Alamogordo. That was a geothermal plant. Uh, but the one right in our backyard was was the incinerator uh, the, the for the trash. Yes, correct. Thank you. So if I can add really quickly, that's what that's the biggest challenge about net zero is there's always a sacrifice zone, and there's always the benefit zone, right? Right. So in this case, is the sacrifice zone. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'll add really quickly, it is ridiculous that they want to do geothermal when we're the 10th sunniest city in the entire planet mm -hmm. and we only have 5% renewable energy. Mm -hmm. So it's just another... Right. Everything except solar is what they're wanting to do. Yeah. So right. Anyway, yes. sorry to continue. No, no, no. no. What, how, how did it end? How, no, how so again, uh, we got a lot of support from, from uh, also at that point, uh, Beto O'Rourke really stepped in, uh, really met directly. Um, uh, privately with, with wow. or bliss. I mean, at that, at that moment, at that point in time. Um, at that point in time. So that was instrumental. Uh, again, the exposure with the media. Uh, we did have a meeting with, with some of the Fort Bliss officials um, in, in one of the schools. I think it was Mountain View at, out in Montana Vista. We had a meeting out there. It was a public meeting. Uh, so, you know, political leaders were there. Community residents was, were there. You know, our legal counsel was there. Um, but it, again, it was a public meeting where we, we again alerted them on that injustice. I mean, how can this be? I mean, like, you know, the power plant, you know, and, and now and an incinerator. It's not only the trash within the community, but they bring sir. start bringing stuff from who knows where. Yes, sir. And, and burning somebody else's trash for the benefit of, of, of who? And you know, it's like right. yeah, Miguel says, you know, you know, they bring you your trash here in your house. And then so that the lady down there benefits from it, you know, th that that is... And, and let me give justice. you and let me give you this example like with all these rains we've had obviously you know a lot of weeds have grown right as you guys oh, know yes. all the rain we've had and so you know people you know out there and have so much land you know we try to cut our weeds and stuff and uh, with once they dry you know the burn. the most logical thing to do is you burn it you know but out there uh, you the firefighters see a smoke cloud and they go to your house and they'll find you you'll get in trouble like that you know this happened just recently to my neighbor you know who's burning weeds that were not yet dry they were still a little green so obviously the smoke was a little thicker uh but within gosh within 15 minutes you know a firefighter truck pulled oh. up to his house i don't know if he gave him a warning or he or if he gave him a fine most likely he gave him a warning but i mean we residents cannot burn you know um weeds Yet, you know, an incinerator so can burn who knows what. <laughs> yes, sir. Can they make money? Yes, sir. It's a double standard that, 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 that is there. So. so, did they build it? No, they did not. Thank God. Uh, they were, they backed off. Uh, they, they, you know. Oh, my gosh. That was huge. Yeah. That's a victory. Yeah, and that gave us more hope, you know, to just continue our fight, you know? Yes. And I definitely. think I don't want to understate the work that uh, Ralph and his wife and, and his. You know, neighbors put into this because Fort Bliss emailed them, right? They didn't have to find out through a friend of a friend of a friend. Like the polluter called them and said, hey, we're doing this, knowing that they were going to fight really hard. Yes. And um, 
And then there was no hearing. We had a public comment where like the commissioner showed up and other people yes. showed up. And that was it. That they was went it. away yes. without having to go. As David was saying, it is just unsustainable, right, to keep fighting, you know, these fights. So imagine if we had to fight El Paso Electric and Fort Bliss at the same time. Um, it would have been really, really yes. painful. And um, I did my thesis in 1998 in college, and it was about a recycling facility in Austin. And that's when I was like, you know, and I remember just what, from my grandmother when we were young, we used to separate the trash, and she would always worry about the, the metal because she's like, you know, people go through the trash, mm -hmm. and so I don't want them to cut their hands. This is in Juarez. And so I was just raised to always think about, like, my actions have consequences, right? Mm -hmm. And so many of us feel really good when we recycle or when it's trash day, and it's yes. like, but the recycling goes to a facility, and my, my clients are in the Chamisal. We have W Silver Recycling, which has gone up in flames. We have the cardboard recycling facilities that have gone up in flames. All of that traffic, pollution, rodents, all of those things. So it's, you know, when we think about, well, what can I do? Really reducing our consumption becomes all of our responsibilities and pushing these huge manufacturers to do their part and to reduce the fact that, you know, we don't always have a choice. We go to the store and everything's wrapped in plastic. And there's things that have been imposed on us, but I think when right. the market starts to shift, they, they really have to figure out how to do things differently. Mm. Um, let's talk about the outcome for, for you all, because you also had some huge... Dave, why don't you go ahead and uh, discuss uh, our settlement? You're probably better off than I am to explain that. Yeah, so I, because I do actually have it, I have it pulled up here. Um, good because we we got so many concessions sometimes i forget what some of them are and <laughs> i do want to emphasize like i said we were fighting in a much more favorable environment uh than you guys had back in 2013 i mean you know the environmental groups are now fully against new gas when when they really weren't i don't think in 2013. Mm -hmm. uh you know we have the new mexico legislation uh we've had a, you know a lot of things that made us to the point where we could get a little bit, you know, uh, that we're, we're, we're proud of. It's not, you know, not not exactly, what, you know, obviously we would have preferred not to get the development at all, but um, so we we forced El Paso Electric to commit to never building another fossil unit at Newman, which is great. Um, they also are prohibited from building any new fossil units anywhere for four years. Uh, with some limited exceptions, uh, like they can build a generator for like a hospital, like a diesel generator, some small things, but we don't expect any big projects. Now they could they could try to they could try to get the regulatory approval before that time, but uh, we do think that's going to be big. Um, they have to begin the process of retiring two existing units, uh, and these are actually really really highly pollutant polluting units. Uh, I think it's going to be Newman 1 or 2 and uh, Rio Grande 6. Um, and those both of those were built before the Clean Air Act was passed, so they're extremely dirty. Um, and they also use a ton of water, so, so, so getting those offline is going to be great. Then they agreed to a permit limit for Newman 6 itself, which means that they have to reduce the amount they're allowed to pollute by 40%. That applies to both carbon uh, dioxide and uh, NOx pollution, which is a, you know, the ozone precursor that we're worried about. Um, and this is something that actually, 
good benefits of the Montana Vista community, something we, we should continue the discussion on. They committed to put half a million dollars aside for uh, VOC offsets, VOC reductions. Um, and we're going to continue to work with them to figure out what projects we want. But one example that I just thought of, you know, you're talking about this fuel storage center. Uh, so, you know, any sort of fuel tank is going to going to emit volatile organic compounds, those fumes. Uh, and so, you know, programs like, well, there's certain upgrades you can make to the tank. Um, there's certain, you know, leak detection programs and stuff you can put in place to reduce those emissions. And so we want to help, you know, make sure that they're going after the processes that are going to most benefit our, our entire communities when they when they put that uh, that money into place. And finally, we got uh, we got we got uh, funds for some community projects that we're still figuring out how we're going to uh, to implement those. Um, but I mean, I think yeah, I, we we're very happy with the project. I mean, uh, with with the settlement, um, you know, with the other Sierra Club attorneys we had talked to, they you know work on these projects all over the country. They said we've never heard of you know, a utility agreeing to a four-year moratorium on, on gas development. I mean, even in the bluest states like California, they're still building new gas units. Um, and so for us to be able to, although we didn't defeat this unit, to be able to say we're, this is going to be possibly the last one, certainly the last one they can build in the next, you know, before 2025 is, uh, is, is a huge accomplishment. And uh, getting those existing units that are high polluting offline, um, you know, I, I think it's a big step, and 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 also to go back to the idea of, the, of this whack-a-mole strategy. Well, they can't ex if they did want to, after 2025, if they did want to build a new fossil unit, well, they can't build it in Montana because of what you guys did. They can't build it at um, uh, Newman because of of this agreement. They have to go and either do it at um, Rio Grande in Summit Park. I mean, they'd be in New Mexico and not for TCEQ, so we'd have a much better chance. Or they'd have to start a brand new facility, and that's really expensive. And there's a lot more legal hooks because you have to buy, you have to buy the land, um, you know, all of that. So, you know, it's an incremental victory, but I think, you know, between what you guys did, what we, what what these this group has done, we're getting to the point where we're really forcing them to um, to move in a different direction, but. But it's going to continue to be a fight uh, to to get the old units, you know, up down, right? Because, like I said, the legal hooks you have to go after old units a lot, a lot harder. Uh, it's hard enough to go after a new plan, but a new plant. But it, but for the old plants, it's very hard. But 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 there's already too much pollution, so we need to be moving in a direction, shutting things down, not going the opposite direction and building more more sources of pollution. And to give more context on, on like a settlement like that, um, in El Paso Electric's own uh, IRPs, right, their integrated resource plans, they had already thought about Newman 7 and potentially even Newman 8. Like, they're already Jeez. thinking, like, we're going to do this 6, they're going to lose, so we're going to think in the future. We, ha we changed that entirely. And... Just to underscore, this, our giant is not like normal giants. Our enemy, our monster is not 
like any old other utility. This is a $4.3 billion company that ha has absolute control and monopoly. They have no competitor anywhere close in the region, and they are private. So there's no democratic lever. There's no public accountability at all within this corporation. So for, for both, of, both of these fights to have pushed them to way the, the way that they did is... It's great. It's yes. something we should celebrate, and it's something we should learn from. Uh, but I was going to actually uh, offer to look at the videos of optical gas imaging. So for our viewers, um, optical gas imaging OGI uh, videos are a industry tool that they use to detect leaks. What we're able to see is we're able to visualize um, volatile organic compounds and greenhouse gases that are naked to the to the that are visible to the naked eye, right? So I can start by showing you all first uh, Montana uh, Montana Vista. We recorded this. Uh, the Earthworks senior thermographer Sharon Wilson uh, recorded this uh, this past summer. So that's what you look at with the with the naked eye, and right. what you see there is is the pollution that's going on right now, right? So um, what you see there is actually the pollution. Um, that's see the the altitude, how high it is it's it's going, and that particular day it probably wasn't windy, but when there's a wind to it, you can imagine how that thing spreads. And this is this is Newman Six, what's already there. This is not counting. Uh, Look how high the stacks are and how high in altitude that mm -hmm. is. There's no way when you get to that altitude that it's just going to go a mile. And then on a windy day? I can day? guarantee yeah, you that. Yeah, and we have a lot of wind. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and you have the Franklin Mountains and the wind goes over. Oh, yeah. Helps it. It's really... So, so this is uh, this is fuel. This is heat. This is not Those the pollution. Those are the main stacks, but you have little tiny ones, right. uh, about a dozen of them. And then you have some that look like Chernobyl. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that's what killed the city of Chernobyl was the radiation. They couldn't, mm -hmm. uh, the, the fuel rods couldn't be cooled fast enough. And then they're really affecting the water. They use the water to cool it off. Right. They have this giant sized pond, the right. condensation rate in, uh, in, in El Paso and Chaparral. You have a pool of water it disappears because of the evaporation. Mm -hmm. That water is there constantly because they're mm -hmm. constantly pumping that water into the pond. Yes. Seepage, yes. I don't yes. know anything about it. They probably have a liner of plastic or something. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, this is this is the status quo, right? Mm -hmm. This is what's happening right now. We're able to prevent way worse levels of this, but yes. this is what's happening. And, and I wanted to read out some of uh, El Paso Electric's plans, right? Uh, they have, let's see, if you count uh, Montana, Montana Vista, the four units there, uh, then you have five, the six units at Newman. Um, they, it's in their plan, it's in El Paso Electric's business plan to have these online for a long time, right? right. So I can, I can read out, they, uh, they plan to retire uh, Montana Vista units one and two by December of 2060. 
and units three and four by sixty. Sixty. And and units three and four by December twenty sixty one. From twenty twenty to twenty sixty is how many years? Forty. Forty. Yeah. Yeah, about forty. And uh, and thirty nine rounding it off because we're twenty one. For for Newman at Newman it's been it's built since for dec decades long, right? So it's been there for a while. Newman one they plan to uh the, one of the ones that we forced them to retire early uh, in 2022 but Newman 5 and Newman 6 well Newman 5 uh, they plan to have it past uh, 2062 2061 right. and we can only ba based on this trend Newman 6 they would want it way past oh, yeah, 2060 barely, barely right built. so uh, Rio Grande uh, they plan to have a generator uh, they have four generators at at that site right now two of them they want to have it way past the the 30s 2030s y uh, unit 8 retired in december 2033 unit 9 december uh 2058 uh, okay so we're living right now in a climate crisis um all of these plants emit extreme levels of of uh, a pollutant and greenhouse gases specifically right. um we well newman six alone if we had not gotten involved would have uh emitted around uh 2.1.3 billion uh tons of carbon dioxide and we reduce it by 40 right so this my question is we're at this crisis right they if if they're on their set course they're going to continue polluting we're going to continue to have only five percent or 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 very little uh solar production um what can we do about this how can we prevent them from shutting them down earlier to to fix the climate and i yeah that i'll throw it up to you all what what are any ideas uh what is what do you think are some of the power imbalances um because we're still in a state of emergency let me ask my wife a question you know that we went through this struggle like it, is it over for us is is that settlement the end for us what what's the future for your kids the kids of montana vista and in in the rest of the world what really upsets me and I wish I could express my anger and how upset I am. They're killing us. They're poisoning us. And the little in the concessions we got is, is, is very little, minute. It's a dent in the ground because they continue doing what they want. And Lord behold, it is still imminent danger is within us at our doors and our back doors and our rooftops and all over our gardens and there has to be some kind of strategy that we move forward and for some reason do whatever we can within our powers to continue the struggle because it doesn't end here today because our kids are coming forth and Thank from you. me you know they're, they're probably my son or my daughters will keep our property when we're passed away 40 years I don't think I'll be here mm -hmm. but you might be here and maybe some of you younger ones uh, 
it, it is just sad. In 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 people that don't see it, are you know those people that know know El Paso Electric. Those that don't are going to continue letting it happen. So the ones that do know need to fight a struggle, get organized, get the best attorneys that we can in order to to make them back off and do what is appropriate to do for the people of this state, of the state of New Mexico, because they're really doing us an injustice. Mm -hmm. And they do it even worse to the poor people, yes. or people in the fringes that don't have support of the, of the government. Mm -hmm. Our politicians need to change, mm -hmm. and they need to realize that we're living in the world that is 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 going to we won't have it for very long if we continue in the same route i'm sorry then i'll, I'll stop um just to kind of um add on to what he what he started saying and and kind of what you asked is um what can we do you know how to to um kind of take this 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 fight on and I'll kind of um, continue uh, where David, uh, the, the the lawyer, mentioned is that we we gotta establish a sustainable effort, and I think that sustainable effort, yeah, community effort is is, is certainly crucial, but I I think it's also important with what he mentioned also like uh, litigation and acts and policies is what we need to try to strive for is try to establish um, some type of precedence that establishes these these policies that that will no longer require communities to have to uh, you know be you know uh, come together and fight mm -hmm. where there will always uh, there will be in place you know these acts and policies or, or certain laws um another thing that just came to my mind also is that um now uh i think it was in 2015 that the united nations uh, agreed on these sustainability goals and i think these sustainability goals are are meant to trigger a conscience within within uh big businesses uh, around the around the world, not just you know let, let's say Texas, but around the world, big time companies are 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 um, um, uh, at this point motivated you know through this through this United Nations effort to meet specific goals by 2025, and amongst those goals are a lot of the things that we are fighting for. So I think that with that is a type of tool that we can use to enforce change uh at that level um uh, because these sustainability goals are meant to to help the climate are meant to help the you know the feed the hungry and, and educational goals um and among them are the environmental goals um so i think uh as you start seeing what is happening in our community you see the same injustices that are happening in poor countries mm -hmm. you know like you start looking at you know like brazil and stuff where all these you know, all these big countries are, are, are doing these these same same things in, in even poorer countries, you know. And I think a, a lot of I think what I want to say is just uh, uh, build this sustainable this sustainable effort. Uh, yes, through community effort, but establish policies and, and acts or, and, and use these sustainability goals that are, have been set by the United Nations to to enforce uh, these big companies. Uh, and and also not just companies, but also there's the, the sustainability goals also tie in the um, like the supply chain, um, like who are you buying your stuff? You know where are you getting your products from? They're also liable. Um, how are they getting their products to you? So I think even the supply chain is being impacted through this sustain through these sustainability goals, which is one of the tools of the many we can use 
uh, to build a sustainable effort um, against these these big 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 companies. I wanted to uh, to share a few ideas, and I really appreciate um, you know what both of you have said. Um, first thing I wanted to just echo what, what Miguel said a second ago, which is that we absolutely forced this this you know 4.3 billion dollar giant um, to to change course. Uh, there's no question in my mind. I mean, they were they were saying as recently in, in, in you know May of this year about Newman Seven, you know their plan for more more new gas. And that's off the table because of and what we did um so it, we can make a difference and it's um it's you know we don't get you don't get you you don't win 100 percent of what you want with every battle but you keep fighting you get you chip away and eventually you get to a point where you know you force them to a different direction um and i did want to share a few just kind of I, you know, practical ideas. I think we really need to be looking at, um, we need to think, look, think locally, we need to think regionally, and we think, need to think, you know, nationally. And there's things that can happen at each level that can really make a difference. Um, so to give you a sense, one of the, the highest polluting uh, El Paso electric units is actually the copper unit, which is right by the refinery. So again, talking about cumulative impacts for that community. You have a high polluting power unit and uh, the refinery. Um, so that has about 60 mega, uh, megawatts that it generates. And so, you know, one way to think about this is how do we get, how do we force different uh, entities in our community to build more solar so that we're, we're eliminating demand for some of these high polluting units. And it's hard. Um, there are a few things that can be done. Uh, you know, New Mexico has a community solar program that, that third parties, not El Paso Electric, but other entities can build up to five megawatts uh, of solar. And so, you know, you know, that that is something that could could, could help. And then, uh, if if the city of El Paso, for example, were to uh, invest in having its own solar. Um, on its buildings and schools, et cetera, uh, it adds up. I mean, it, it, it adds up a lot more slowly than you might think. Um, you know, some some of these huge, uh, you know, like we drive by this uh, this power station at NMSU, and it, it's 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 huge. But I think it's not. I think it's only one megawatt. So you know, you need sixty of those huge in installations to. Um, you know, to get to, to force the retirement of a unit. But thinking about that, how do we encourage um, other entities? One entity in particular that I, I have on my mind, I want to apply some pressure is the El Paso Airport. Um, there are actually federal funds that uh, airports can get if they're in a, a highly polluted area like El Paso to uh, to build solar. and. And the the Albuquerque Airport, for example, has solar over almost all of its um, parking lots, uh, several megawatts, two, three megawatts, and most of it was funded by the federal government. Um, so why are we not doing that here? You know, pressuring them to invest, pressuring the, the city uh, government to invest in solar. Um, you know, at the regional level, it's really obviously it's really hard in Texas. There's you know. Uh, 
very few options at the state level, but New Mexico, we do have things like the Energy Transition Act um, that, they, that can make a big difference. And You know, I was going to comment that El Paso Electric tries to discourage solar because solar would hurt them in the pocketbook and they don't want to be examples of putting up solar so the <laughs> rest of the world are discouraged about using solar. That's been their ma major motivation. They have this huge sign yep. in front of Newman 6 solar and little evidence of them going solar. And I don't think that they want to even give the impression. That's why they haven't moved in the solar direction themselves. I, I think that's a big, I mean, that's, a, that's definitely right. That uh, they don't make as much money when they invest in solar and they don't want, and it's a lot easier for someone who's not a utility to get solar. So, um, you know, I think it is, it is a, it is important. Um, you know, I don't think it's realistic that uh, it can't be our only strategy of getting, getting more, other institutions to build rooftop solar, et cetera, because it's just going to be too slow, but it's got to be a big part of it. Uh, then these, these state and federal policies, like I said, uh, the Energy Transition Act in New Mexico is great. We would like to, you know, eventually go back and, and bring the deadlines forward because 2045 is still way too late. But um, it's, it's better than what, what Texas has. Um, and then, yeah, fed, the federal legislation, I mean, it's in regulation. So um, we are very hopeful that EPA will, will, will take some action both both with the ozone designation in El Paso, but also with with um, policies designed to force transition to clean energy in general. And you know, it's really helpful uh, to have local voices in that too. You know, people think, oh well, you know, it's EPA, it's over in Washington D.C. You know, they don't care about us, but it actually is really effective. You know, we're doing this. Uh, I do as does Miguel a lot on oil and gas wells and you know when we talk with epa if we have someone who lives you know in carlsbad or um in odessa who says yeah i mean i i breathe this stuff stuff in it's really half terrible you know the federal regulators pay attention to that and so you know certainly i will be on the lookout for opportunities where we can take our voices to epa and say hey you know we gotta um you know, when you're designing these federal policies, you got to keep in mind the environmental justice impacts, the impacts on our communities. And, and I think, you know, having, having our, you know, continuing to raise our voices, continuing to get into the media, um, you know, all of this is really important. And, and so I, I do think, you know, we've already had an impact and we can continue to have it. Um, and, you know, but we have, uh, we have to be strategic on, you know, who can we really, influence and who can we where can we really have the most um impact and, and so it, you know it requires a lot of a lot of thinking but um great to have a you know a community that's ready to fight and, and I, I i really um you know i'm honored to have been able to work with the garcias and the other folks in chaparral and you know really proud of what we we, we accomplished right and, and going back to power right um where do we have power? And one of the areas where we as like as, as Sunrise, as El Pasoans, is city council. 
City Council uh, is where we have a direct connection to power over El Paso Electric. Um, here at Sunrise, we're very, very interested in energy democracy, right? These very extremely important things that are consequential for, for our Earth and our communities, how are we using, which type of energy source are we using it, using, where are we putting it, where are we locating it? We are not in any place a part of that conversation. That conversation happens in a corporate boardroom in downtown, and now it happens in a corporate boardroom in Wall Street because JP Morgan owns El Paso Electric. So that's something that, that you know, we're interested here at Sunrise is how can we bring democracy into our utility? Uh, over there you can see an embroidery of um, an art piece that our hub coordinator, Ana, made. It says, municipalize El Paso Electric. And that's what it's about. Like, we're, we're getting at how can we be more democratic for these extremely important things. So that's what I want to end up end off with. And I'm very, very grateful for, for you all being here and sharing your, your wisdom. Uh, it has to be a citywide thing. It has to be a countywide thing, a statewide thing in order for us to win. So thank you for sharing your knowledge to, to the world. Oh, please, please do. Um, just I know we're, we're, we're we've been here for, for a bit, so I, I want to make this quick. I think that um, building on what you said, elections matter. And all of these commissioners are appointed by governors, are elected by you know by Texans and New Mexicans. That's how rules get changed. Um, state legislators, and then we get down to the city and the county. Um, we get also to the school board, right? Anyone who has funds to build a building has the power to go solar. Um, has the power to be more energy efficient. Um, and when we think about so many different. Um, ways of getting involved, running for office, holding those who are in office right now accountable, um, being a part of task forces, right? So there's the Renewable Energy um, uh, Task Force for the city. There's others that you can get involved with and say, like, this this matters, and here's how we're going to be on the inside. And these are publicized, and people should be watching them, giving public comment like Ralph did, and, and so many of us have on, on other issues. And then I think also when I, I, I am just in awe of these two communities, right? And I always think, like, well, it's my job. Like, I get paid to, to do this work, and um, it's hard work, but, but David, and I, David and I get paid. You know, we, we have jobs. But you all did this on your own time right while you were managing your families while you were dealing with the stress of having this polluter come in you still found it in your heart to do this for other people and i think that as a whole we need to continue to build into our our people now but also our children this sense of community consciousness and also um, a sense of love for the earth and i i mean i, I reference my grandparents but that's how i was raised and i think it's so much easier for my mom and I to gravitate towards, yeah, I can't hurt someone else. I can't profit off of someone else's suffering because of the way we were raised. And I think that we need to continue to spread that, right? That to take people into our communities and talk about why we're so convict, like we have so much conviction for what we do because we, you know, we can't be everywhere. But if you start to really multiply this consciousness, um, you know, these stakeholders, they have kids too and how would they like their kid to have an asthma attack and feel like they can't breathe and and have to go to the er um the same with um uh with the engineers at el paso electric and you all have hammered at this for so long and um i want to say that 
um, these two communities are so powerful, but Sunrise filled the gap, right, between 2013 when we were fighting them in Montana Vista to 2021 when we were fighting them in Chaparral. Sunrise made a lot of noise, and you all had the research. You were at city council in person. It was before the pandemic, and you really put the spotlight on them because a lot of people didn't realize what was happening. And so what do we do at the city level? There's a lot of things that we do, but one of the things that that I hope that we get to do is to really push the city also to be better to its employees because a big part of this opposition came from the employees of El Paso Electric because they do get good wages, because they have good benefit. And so there is a part of you know, this sense of like, well, I'm getting paid well. I'm so sorry that you're getting polluted, but I have a family to take care of. So again, it goes back to people not having that community, sense of community, and also we have to survive. Um, and and the city could not compete because the city was ready to furlough people, for, I mean, fired people during the pandemic, um, has had abysmal wages for the workers that get things done. And so it was really easy for the workers at the company to say we're against this. So we have to really think strategically about how we fight and how we message because all of these fights are interrelated, right? The oppression of one group ends up oppressing other people. And so we end up fighting each other instead of being together in, you know, on this. Um, so I, I am so proud of, of Sunrise. Um, you know, I, for many of us, the fight just seems like we're on our own. And then we look at the younger people who are ready to join in, bring us their wisdom and listen to ours. And it just really makes the fight worth fighting. So thank you all for, for all that you do. Yes, thank you. And <laughs> thank you all as well. You know, uh, like I said, the core has to be frontline communities and we take the lead. Um, but yeah, any, any other closing remarks? Before we end up, I'll just say that. Uh, I'll, I'll just say, yeah, the, the fight is absolutely continuing, and we've made an impact. And um, you know, get in touch with myself or Miguel or, or Vero, or you know, as we look for our our, our next legal hooks uh, that that the community can get involved with. And and absolutely, as we as the political hooks are also extremely important. So there's going to be there's going to be you know additional ways uh, that we can keep this fight going. But it's great it, it's great to be part of it. And you know we we've done we've done we we've, we've done some big things, and we're going to do some even bigger things. It's 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 you know the start of something great. So um, really you know really appreciate working with all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Sounds like a good place to end. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. We're thank you. Excited. Can we do a group picture?